Hello and welcome to An Evening with Nirvana. It's a podcast where I'm talking to a series of guests from the Doom community, uh, maybe some people outside of it, about level design, map creation, and other facets of game development. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Joshi, co-creator of Speed of Doom with Darkwave, project lead for Plutonia Revisited, and creator of Resurgence. He's also had a hand in a number of big-ticket projects like Ancient Aliens and BTSX, as well as contributing a map to one of my personal favorite community projects, Fifty Shades of Grey Tool. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Joshi. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I've had a few beers, so I think I'm in a good position right now. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> well, I haven't had a few beers, but uh, in a good position also. I'm ready to get down to business. Yep, looking forward to it. Uh, all right, well, I'll start with the, the question I always begin with, which is how did you originally get into Doom? That's a good question. Um, that's the first time that anyone's asked me that. Um, I think in the ye old days, they, um, they just, I think, trying to think back, I the first Doom I ever played was the shareware version of Doom, and that came with a, um, it came in a CD with many other old um, shareware and um, bandonware sort of games. And I think that came with a package of um, like a joystick and some some sort of uh, set of controllers that came with this package. Hmm. And I just, yeah, and I just came along and I just explored all the different games. There was like um, Duke Nukem 3D and there was Jetpack. And then I came across Doom uh, Shareware and there was also the um, Simpsons. Uh, oh, versions, yeah. yeah, you remember those, um, and Ned Flanders with the balance of hell, and I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It was so freaky, it had this really high pitch, and that just, <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. I think I, I must have been like um, six, seven, mm-hmm. six, seven years old, so I was fairly young, <laughs> so to speak. So mm-hmm. that was pretty much my first um, exposure to Jen. Right. Yeah, I, I remember also having... I don't think I ever actually played it, but I remember The Simpsons Doom. I think it got, like... It came with a magazine or, or something that was very common back then. Yeah, 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 must have. I, I think there's actually two different Simpsons versions. Because, oh. I mean, yeah, because there was one that had a different set of enemies and there was another one because I explicitly remember Medflanders being the Bound of Hell. And then, and then another one, Ned Flanders was like the demon. I can't oh. remember. It, it, was a, it was another baddie. And um, it was, a, yeah, yeah. So th- I think there's at least two different Simpsons versions out there. Yeah. Wow. A huge market for uh, Simpsons <laughs> Doom knockoffs. <laughs> um, so, which, which of the Iwads actually uh, sort of resonated with you the most? Which one did you end up sort of playing through the most? <laughs> Um, as soon as I give you the answer, you're probably going to be like, well, I am not surprised. I mean, duh. I mean, that's just uh-huh. the kind of stuff that Joshy makes. Um, <laughs> so, so the Doom Shareware was the first one I played, but the first version I've had was Plutonia. Yeah. That was my first <laughs> proper um, iWOD. So, and, and TNT, because I had the Final Doom um, edition. And I, and I had that as a birthday present when I was eight years old because I was obsessed with planning the shareware version. Right. So 
And uh, I was also hoping for Quake 2 as a question that they gave me Final Doom because I think it was um, cheaper. I think it used to be um, $20 and you could buy that at, um, at a Woolies, I think. It's like an Australian equivalent of um, the food shop. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you could buy that. So, yeah, and I used to play Plutonia and TNT all the time, but I've always learnt towards Plutonia. And truth be told, I played through every map so many times, but I've always played through them on um, God Mode on, you know, oh, right. ID, QD, because I was, I was so afraid of dying and this, this dying sound. And maybe that's why I overcompensated for it by making these ridiculously hard levels <laughs> to overcome my fear of dying. So <laughs> that's probably a bit of our Freudian psychoanalysis going on there. Yeah. Deep childhood <laughs> yeah. trauma being uh, worked through uh, in Doom. <laughs> exactly right. I think that's the best way to work through trauma. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so when did you actually like get your hands on an editor and, and start making custom content? Hmm. Yeah, I, um, I remember when. I think it was when I was 14 years old, so at least 2005. I have always wanted to try and um, edit levels way before, but I just didn't. I was too young to work out the internet and find the right programs. But I've always had like this um, fascination towards creating levels. You know, sometimes there are games that you play and they have these level editors that you can use and then you create your own levels. And I've always found that really interesting and exciting to use because I liked to come up with something and imagine like a different way of playing the game. And uh, yeah, so I came across the dream editing in 2005. I was um, 14 then. So that was the first time I got into it. And I think that was about the same time I got into all the new, um, this new world of PWAS and so new megawars like Sky and um, Alien Vendetta, those sort of um, little hell revealed. <laughs> those were one of my earlier ones that I played. So yeah, it was, a, it was about that time. Right. And uh, you had a bit of a laugh at this when you when you saw it on the page, but um, <laughs> when did Hell's Grammar School Project come about? <laughs> <laughs> so basically I made that because um, uh, as, as Australians will know for year 12 we have to do the HSC right? and that's the, that's the I don't know what the equivalent is for the overseas or, or the Americans it's like doing your A levels or that sort of thing I don't know. Yeah, yeah in the UK yeah, yeah. yeah I think people will get the idea um, so I just wanted to maximise my grades because um a huge chunk of it would contribute to your final grade and that would influence your entrance into university. And one of the units I did was um, um, information processing and technology. Mm-hmm. And, we were basic, and we basically could come up with anything and we just, you know, display skills um, using certain processes and justify and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I mean, I'm pretty good at talking out of my ass, so I was able to justify using, um, <laughs> making making a Doom project and get the best marks possible. So I just came up with something. And because I was already, you know, mapping a bit since 2005, so I had a bit of a handle on what to do. 
So it wasn't too hard to get into GCN, G, yeah, GZ, Doom. That's probably like the second time I've pronounced that. If always was <laughs> written it <Right>. down. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it, it was a quick adjustment, and it, um, yeah, I got the best marks possible. Though, so that's that was my uh, motivation for doing that project. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, looking at it, I think you described it as like a joke wad, and I did actually play it. I played through the map. Um, and, uh, I guess I was wondering if it was, like, sort of meant to be a bit of a commentary on GZ Doom features at the time, uh, because you did make, uh, like, mostly Boom-compatible stuff later on, so I wasn't sure if you were already in that kind of Boom-slash-vanilla camp at that point. Um, yeah, I, I do, yeah, I think she picked, picked me up quite well um yeah i am i'm not i'm not a fan of the um they said to him in the g set <laughs> Jeez, there needs to be a better way of saying these um, i always just say gz doom yeah the american G-Z. pronunciation gc <laughs> gc doom yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah i i feel like with when when i did the project i there was a few projects that i played and I definitely ripped a bit of the coding from some of the um, um, flamboyant projects. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what project it was, but I basically ripped the programming code. And, and I just thought, you're, you're missing a point of Doom. I mean, you're missing the framework, the most, all the fundamentals that makes this such an exciting game. And you're thinking that all of these flashy features is going to make us interesting and fun to play yeah yeah you're missing a point and mm-hmm. yeah i i i was never a fan of it i just only used it just because i could look like i mean because it was so easy for me to do but the teacher can't tell the difference so it's like oh this is an amazing job and then the schools like actually promoting my work saying this is a really good job yeah. and had a bunch of other <laughs> people play it thinking it was a fantastic thing. Like, no, it's not. It's really easy. But, <laughs> yeah, but perception's a funny thing. I mean, if you don't know the amount of work that it takes to, um, that's involved in the work, I mean, it's just... Yeah, I guess that's another can of work worm to open the, the contrast between the worker's perspective and the player's perspective. I mean, that's just... Um, yeah, I feel like I'm getting off track. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think... Yeah, short answer. I'm I'm definitely a um, boom person. I am definitely not a vanilla person because the limitation is just suffocating, yeah. and it, it's not compatible with my uh, kind of mapping. And it sort of stifles my ability to improvise and be open with my creativity. As you as you might notice, that the majority of my vanilla work has have have had. Other um, edit, um, other mappers involved as well, like um, mm-hmm. Bella Macriso and Boris Climes, and um, who was the other one? PRCP. Oh God, oh, I've gotten his name. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm um, somewhere in between, I think, because that is just choice spot, I believe, that will give you the best option by still maintaining the um, the original spirit of Doom, if yeah. I can put it that way. Yeah, I think that's what most people who map with Boom seem to say, is that it's a nice middle ground, I guess. 
It is, it is. And there's, um, there's also the opportunity to go just beyond a little bit and play with the limitations. And um, like Sunlust, I think is a fantastic example of that. And it's one of my biggest um, recent inspirations that she's come up with incredible things that I would have never have thought about, mm-hmm. but they still feel like is plutonium on steroids. And that's that's the kind of um I make a water I really enjoy playing myself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh I like I think UDMF is definitely really interesting, like all the all the crazy stuff you can do in, in GC Doom and, and whatnot. But um yeah, for me personally boom just it still feels like doom even though it has like a lot of extended features which is kind of the important thing uh, i suppose it feels official (laughs) almost it does yeah (laughs) that's a good way of putting it 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 is kind of official and maybe it's sort of like a good benchmark that if you can make a fun project in doom i mean boom then you got all these necessary skills to make a fantastic map in any sort of format. Mm-hmm. But, um, but now I think the thinking about it, I think people will have more of an incentive to map in vanilla because there's a chance that it might be implemented in um, Unity and yeah. uh, recruited by ID software. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think you're caught in a rock and, and hard place there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so moving on to one of your slightly later projects, New Doom Community Project, which you submitted uh, a few maps for. Um, map 13, you sort of, I felt like you created a really good tension at the beginning of the map with this sort of MIDI that slowly builds, and then you have very tight gameplay that sort of opens into a larger map. Um, I was wondering how important tension uh, is for you when, when you map for Doom. That's, that's a good question, um, but I'm going to surprise you. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I, I am going to. Uh, I did not pick <laughs> that MIDI. I, uh-huh. ori- <laughs> I originally picked um, Hexen's Growth. That was my initial MIDI for that map. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I mean, the, the way that New Dream Community Project wasn't, it wasn't organized the best way. So somehow it was some it was a pre-existing MIDI for a pre-existing map, and then somehow they moved my map into that slot because it was like one of those um, last-minute thing I whipped up just to filling in the gap, and I should put it in there. And somehow that Blade Runner MIDI seemed to be really good for it. So it's I um, it, it's something. I guess we could call it a happy accident. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, but but it doesn't mean that I don't um, think that tension isn't important. I think it is. But I think it depends on the kind of map that you want to make and the goal that you have and the sense of place that you want to make. Mm-hmm. So it's all, all of that will determine whether you want tension or not. And... And I guess tension and sense of place goes hand in hand. So if you want good tension, make sure you get a good sense of place so people know, oh, what's going on here? Oh, mm-hmm. monsters are looking away. Something's going on here. What if what will happen if I pull the trigger? Or 
what would happen if I press this button. And that makes the gameplay so much more interesting because it, it rouses up these feelings that you have instead of just shooting what's in front of you. It creates these little extra, it's like three-dimensional feelings compared to, oh, yeah, what I see, I shoot, pro tips, shoot it until it dies. I mean, you make it a more interesting narrative when there's, you create that. And I think that, that's, um, I think it's a um, underrated thing to do um, to create tension. Yeah, I think people do sometimes think of Doom as, like, entirely about momentum. Like, it's all about speed all the time. But, um... Uh, which may be an ironic thing to say to someone who made Speed of Doom, but, uh... <laughs> you know... Um, I think th <laughs> there are points where it's good to kind of break it up, uh, slow the player down a bit, and then have, like, crescendo moments, uh, I guess. Yeah, it is. I think, um, particularly if you're thinking about the megawatts um, flow as a whole, I think you should be thinking about the flow as a whole. I mean, that's... I think that's something I learned from working on Speed of Doom. And um, I think it was a happy coincidence that Dark Waves and my, my work sort of blended well together. Mm -hmm. But it, it made me think, especially when I was doing research, is that okay, so if I'm doing the whole thing, then what would be the best way for the maps to flow? And that's, um, I had to be extra um, conscious of that to make sure that the whole thing is actually interesting and engaging and how does it work as an narrative as a whole. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that was something I had in my mind when I was doing the whole um, thing with Jig. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll definitely get to Speed of Doom and Resurgence shortly. Uh, but uh, back to New Doom Community Project. The maps you made for the project, they're pretty tough already, uh, even early in your mapping <laughs> career. Uh, health is like pretty sparse. You mostly kind of rely on SSG for a lot of mid-tiers and chain gunner spam and stuff. Um, were you setting out to make something like challenging in particular or was this just like what was fun for you? Yeah, something fun. Uh, probably both. Um, I think at the time I was definitely on a um, challenge uh, period, you know, like how everyone has periods in their lives. And when I was 15 to 18, 19, I was definitely wanting to push the limits for myself of what was easy or hard. I mean, I, I wanted to challenge myself. That was... That's essentially the goal, to make maps that was exciting for me. And um, I wasn't really thinking as much about how other people were here. I mean, I did. I mean, it's not like I'm a psychopath. Everything is about me. It's just it's think about, well, what's also fun for them as well? You sort of try to integrate the two. What's really fun for me and really challenging? And then, okay, let's make it a little bit easier for someone else. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Current Josh, you would disagree with that now. I mean, I, I'm very different. It's a very different mapping and place now. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a funny retrospect, I have to say. But um, but thinking back, I mean, I was just trying to challenge myself, and um, that was and the the Plutonia influence was. I mean, because the truth be told, the first time I played Doom Two was 
couple, I mean, 2005, 2006, when I started map editing. So my idea of Jern, my idea of gameplay and design, everything came from playing Plutonia countless of times. Right. So what, yeah, so the, the Sandy, the benchmark, was Plutonia to start with. So that to me was Doom. It wasn't, you know, like every every everyone else society of Doom. And I was already on a different level. Mm-hmm. And then when I play, and then when I played Doom 2, I'm like, what the hell is this shit? I mean, this is boring. <laughs> this this sign is awful. What what were they smoking? I want some of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can. I, it's interesting. I I always like to sort of find out which I award was influential to people because, uh, I really do find that it permeates through their maps. Like, uh, I, I mean, especially their early stuff, but usually you can see it uh, sort of throughout all of their work. Which I award was sort of the <laughs> the big inspiration for them, and a lot of the people who like difficulty, it, it was Plutonia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's just where I got that sense of um, difficulty from. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really hard to break away from what you first played. And there's no doubt that's going to determine what you enjoy and influence how you design things. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm kind of lucky because Plutonius design is um, way ahead of his time. I mean, it can be really nasty and cool sometimes, but they got doomed, right? They took advantage, full advantage of, you know, the monsters, um, AI, and the the limitation that Doom has. They they, they got they hit the sweet spot, and in less than six months, and that's just you know admirable. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big Plutonia fan. Um, you <laughs> for imperfection has its charms. Uh, you said in the text file for this that you were sort of waiting for people to finish some work up on Speed of Doom, and that's why you made the project. Were you just feeling sort of antsy, or did you always intend to like revamp some of your old stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, both, both. Um, there was also an opportunity to learn how to upload the work to um to the um, ID Games uh, database and. Right. Back in the back in the old days, it was harder. Now it's so much easier. I mean, the youngsters can't appreciate <laughs> what they've got now. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it was, yeah, I think it was sort of. I was feeling a bit antsy. I mean, at the time, I was waiting on Darkwood to finish. He had two more maps. So I'm serving up the beer. Uh, the the Darkwood had like two more maps to finish, and I think that was. If I remember, the last two that he did was I think Mac Twenty Eight Twilight Twilight Massacre, mm-hmm. and and I think it was it was another good one. Might have been ooh, maybe Mac Twenty Six. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Might be that. Yeah. So, so I I mean I, I pretty much finished all my maths pretty quickly. Dark Wave always took his time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe that's something I should have done. I should have taken my time to be more. <laughs> I just I just had this idea it's gonna be Sky and he just went way ahead of the brief. But a good thing though, yeah. um, mind you. Um, well, yeah. So yeah, and, um, and I had a bunch of these maps on my hard drive, and yeah, I thought a bunch of them were 
okay and I thought okay why not I mean why not share what you've done and um, maybe even share, give an idea to people what you've done like it's interesting to see what people's um, earliest works are like mm-hmm. it's just yeah I think it's sort of humbling because you want people to have an idea what it was like for people to start mapping and what the progress trajectory is like because it's, it's always fascinating to see how people's work um, evolves over the years because it's, I don't know it's just interesting and you really get to learn about how creativity works and what it's like to develop your skill over time and um, I mean I'm a development um, I would call myself a developmental psychologist so I'm always interested in stuff mm-hmm. you know developing over time so yeah that's my fascination <laughs> right yeah um, and did you did you find it to be like a useful exercise touching up these maps? Did you uh, did you sort of learn things from that process? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was sort of like okay, so some of these maps are ugly as hell. So what is it that <laughs> I can do to touch it up? I mean, so it's sort of like learning how to bring it up to standards. Like one of these maps was actually, um, I think. I, one of the maps is a untouched, but I actually touched it up for the um, Newsday map 13. So I'm not sure if you noticed that there was two maps that were nearly the same, but I just changed the texturing um, theme, the palette, and some of the gameplay was a bit different as well. But um, yeah, I think it was a useful exercise. I mean, any sort of opportunity to know sort of learn how to look at your map as it is now and what can I do to make it better and if just trying that just giving it a go I think is always a worthy um, exercise um, in, in and of yourself mm-hmm. and in that same vein do you find community projects to be useful for like building up mapping skills oh yeah mm-hmm. oh it is absolutely um, yeah like I think, if I recall, I mean, well, New Gen Community Project was, I would say, my official first release. You know, like, um, I, I don't, um, yeah, like my official first release, like Map 27, Wasteless is one that I really put a bit of time into it. And I, looking back on it now, I would say I was pretty happy with it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, because it's in a way, it's a great way to, because you feel the drive and the motivation to do the best you can because it's a community project. So you have that little extra pressure. But if you can channel that pressure, you can, you know, a lot of creativity can come up. I mean, it's always, it's like if you have a deadline and you have to do an assessment at school, you've got yeah. this motivation and this goal, you're going to do better than you would if. Someone said, oh, yeah, just take your time and release it. Whatever you want, mate, you'll be right, mate. I mean, you're not going to make – the work is not going to be as good. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and communicate, community projects are really good for that. But also, um, if I remember my um, working in the um, – what was it? Claustrophobia, down 1024. I, that, was, that was a bit of a learning curve because I um, – my first map for that was um, Poison Ivy 2. And the first draft wasn't wasn't that good because I 
it wasn't efficient. There was a lot of blockage. So the the monsters didn't work, moved around too well, and the projectiles didn't really flow as well. And um, I think it was Jodwin, um, they're one of the Dreamworld members, um, J-O-D-W-I-N. He, he did J-Earth. And um, he, he, the feedback that I got from him or her or them was fantastic. And that was, that was a great learning opportunity because with all that, I knew I started picking up what it meant to make a really accessible map and a really good one. Mm-hmm. So it's, just, it's a great learning opportunity. So if people are thinking about joining a community project, I would highly suggest that you do join one and go for it. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, so, on to uh, one of the big ones, Speed of Doom. Uh, <laughs> what made you want to work with Darkwave uh, for Speed of Doom? <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I first met Darkwave. Um, yeah, met, e-met. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, New Doom community, um, yeah, New Doom forums. And at the time, he was, you just, he uploaded this map and asked him for feedback. And I looked at it and I was like, hey, this is not bad. I mean, he needs it. There's, there's a lot of things that he needs to work on. So I thought I'd just type down, um, type down all this feedback, like um, advice on texturing and um, gameplay flow and layout designs. And mm-hmm. I, so there was a few, I, I pretty much gave him some feedback and other people did too. But I could see already then that the work that he came up with, like one of his earliest maps was so unique looking and there was so much potential in there. And I thought, hey, why not? Um, actually, he started releasing um, or uploading maybe two or three or four other maps. And then I thought, hey, why not? how about we team up and we can learn from each other and we'll set a deadline, which is try and come up with a map within a week if we can, and we'll give each other feedback and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And he, he was really into that. So that's just pretty much how it worked out. Because I, I, like if you look at his earlier maps, you'd be like, this is um, brilliant in the making, but we didn't know how brilliant (laughs) yeah yeah and what do you think like each of you sort of brought to the project individually um that's good um well i'm glad that we were different Uh, (laughs) um i think in Look, like, I mean, if you asked me to go back, if I could change what I did in that speed of doom, I would change a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. because, because I'm more of a softie now, and I realize <laughs> being, a, being a softie is more fun <laughs> than being a hard ass. I mean, life is already too hard, so let's not make it <laughs> as stressful, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, cuffing some slack. Um, but I think it balanced out anyway, because uh, the. I mean, dark wave work, and I, I mean, remember the play testers saying it like Gussa and Jew and GGG, Mork and Co. So it was 
I mean, they openly admitted they preferred dark ways of um, work, particularly because it was non-linear and the sense of place was so big and strong. Mm-hmm. And it was just, and looking back on it, I think the gameplay is more flexible. And I think that's what people really appreciate about his work. There's, there's this kind of flexibility that people can approach the scenarios, the setup scenarios in many different ways. And you could make some mistakes. So the error of margin was a little bit more bigger. And yeah, there's in a sense of place. I mean, the sense of place is just, you can't beat that sense of place that dark wave set up. I mean, it was just incredible. Whereas I think my work is probably, I think um, Plutonia at its worst, where I was a little bit more stringent with health and armor. But I had in mind that I wanted to challenge people as much as possible. And, um, but that meant the error margin was smaller than dark waves um, maps. Mm-hmm. But at, at least it was smaller and it was a little bit more linear. And so the pain was short-lived, so <laughs> to speak. So in, in a way, I think it, it actually worked out really well because it was too different styles so maybe i shouldn't change it at all i should just leave it because that's just that's just how everyone knows speed of doom as you know well i mean yeah i i think it's been such a big influence on so many people that i think it would probably be a mistake to go back and try and edit things now it yeah i think so i mean i think we just have to take it on it not necessarily take it on the chin, but accept that it's valuable. Like, like I mentioned, that it's good to upload older work so people see the evolution of people's work. And I think that is in and of itself quite valuable. And it would be, it would be a pity to eliminate, um, eliminate that and get rid of that. And we should accept our um, limitations and our drawbacks because I'm here now because of what I did in the past so I, I shouldn't lie and you know you know that sort of thing yeah of course um I, I I do think despite you saying that you and Darkwave are sort of very different mappers uh, I feel that Speed of Doom is like very coherent in terms of design uh both sort of in encounters and setups and and also visually was there a sort of discussion about consistency when you were working on the WOD or, or did you both kind of just make your own thing and see how it paired up in the end kind of thing? Yeah, I have, to, I have a vague memory of what we talked about. I mean, there was so much um, messaging on the um, New Dream forums back and forth, but we did. We did have an um, overall idea of what we should make and what the difficulty curve would be and what we talked a lot about our inspirations too like what mm-hmm. works we should check out and maybe something we could imitate and what made them so interesting or effective so there was a lot of back and forth about that and i think that sort of shaped what we were going to put in into the megawatt over time um the we we did said that it'd be cruel if we could try and make sure that every map that we make will be some there'll be some sort of continuity but 
and um, there's, there's a way they could the continuity was, was worked out with a bit. I don't know, maybe haphazard. Because, like, for example, I actually made map one, three, and five to start with. And then Darkwave used those three maps to inspire his work. So he ended up making maps to fit in between the two maps. So map two and four was a result of me making map one, three, and five. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see some thematic similarities because he thought, okay, so what's happening in point one, three, and five? Let's see if we can make something similar, but different and interesting. So he used that as like a reference point and we sort of did that across the megawatts. So we sort of like, okay, you're doing this, then I'll do that. You're doing this and I'll do that and see if we can mix it up a bit so we're not doubling up and um, themes or um, gameplay sort of um, patterns, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And during those discussions, uh, like what kind of elements did you want to be prominent in the world in terms of like gameplay and stuff? Ooh. What kind of elements? Uh... Like, were there talks of, like, challenge and, and, like, specific sort of setups and things like that, or, or not so much? Yeah, well, we weren't so specific on that. We just, we specifically, Plutonia 2, Skies 2, and Alien Vendetta, mm-hmm. they, were, they were, like, a guideline, like a benchmark that we were sort of working with. So we were just wanting to, I don't know, I mean, it's just trying to think about what we did. We, we, we weren't focused or hooked onto a specific element. We just wanted to just create something that was interesting or new, but also similar to how the classic Megawas did them. So that was, but... But in terms of gameplay, we definitely wanted them to be um, challenging, that's for sure. Uh, there's, there's no doubt um, it, it's my fault for setting up the pop-up um, mechanisms because that was uh, my... <laughs> yeah, that's my fault because Darkwave took that from me because, you know, we were helping each other out. So you sort of like, oh, yeah, I'll do that too. Right. Because pop-up is actually really useful because... It's like a sudden ambush of monsters rather than a one-on-one teleportation. Yeah. And so it's such an easy way to go bam and change the dynamics of the uh, of the whole map. Mm-hmm. So, but it can be annoying. So I think it's it's going to take tricky usage. Um, tricky, tricky usage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think I forget the whole point I was saying, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just gameplay elements uh, in the world. But uh, I think you, I think you covered uh, some of it. Uh, probably difficult to remember everything as well it was quite a while ago now yeah um it's oh my god i was um 18 years old so that was that was that was an awful year i have to say i mean i was depressed and unhappy and the only two things that kept me alive and happy was playing a lot of tennis and making maths for a speed of doom Yeah. Well, yeah, creative outlets are always important wherever you can find them, I think, for dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, it's just uh, people don't talk about the impacts of creativity and the, the point of art. I mean, you could reduce everything into in terms of efficiency, but it's like, well, then you'll be just surviving, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't be living. I mean, that's two different kinds of you know lives that you might have. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you said that you and Darkwave talked a lot about your influences and uh, you listed in the text file like Hell Revealed, Scythe, Alien Vendetta, which are ones that you've mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Were there any video games outside of Doom that were big influences on your mapping? Hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't speak for Darkwave. But yeah, um, I think we can infer that Dark Wave has been influenced by other games, considering it's a MIDI, MIDI um, choices mm-hmm. in the maps, like a lot of um, Japanese video games and that sort of thing. So we can infer this definitely not do influences for him. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, definitely, I would have to say, um, I mean, I mean, I would say Quake, but that's, uh, yeah, that's like a cheap answer. I mean, Quake 1 and 2, <laughs> I used to play a lot. I mean, that's, yeah. that's essentially that's essentially Doom. But um, I'm also a big um, Zelda fan. I mean, as you can tell in the Health Grammar School, I had the first temple yep. in music because mm-hmm. I, that's my, I, list, I still listen to that as a study music theme. It's just 24 <laughs> 7. It's like, yeah. It makes me feel alive, so to speak. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I guess I have a bit of I adopt a bit of the um, game design, the gameplay design uh, philosophy in Zelda. So I, I look at what makes it so interesting and think, okay, so how can I implement that into Doom? And it's not not always doable or easy, but it's it's more like. Um, challenging players to find a way out or um, I, I also had to admit there are other games like um, Donkey Kong Country 1, 2 and 3 yeah great games Star Wars they're, they're super hard games and so I, I guess I sort of grew up with that I grew up with playing ridiculously hard games so I had this really hard, high threshold of dying all the time and being okay with it so, <laughs> so <laughs> right. apologies to everyone who doesn't have the same threshold my apologies my threshold's different now <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah but I, that that was i think that also seeped into my design that i try to push people to the limits to try and force them to be creative and flexible that right. maybe people might approach one situation in a certain way but they keep dying then well, maybe you could think outside the box. Maybe yeah. you could stop shooting first and maybe run around first. So I wanted to do, um, encourage that. Mm-hmm. That was that was always something in the back of my mind. Yeah, that's definitely something that I like to do with my maps as well. Is um, uh, I always want the player to like actually think a little bit. <laughs> like, don't save yourself into a corner or whatever. Like, if one thing doesn't work, then then try something else. But. People can be stubborn having watched them play my maps. Yeah, they can be. Yeah. Um, well, have you noticed that a lot of people are really stubborn with your maps? Is that something that you've seen? 
yeah, I think it's usually... It, it will just be, like, people will get honed in on one strat for a fight, and they will think it's an execution issue, where it's like, well, this strategy is correct, but I just need to play better, and then I will win. Whereas they actually need to try something completely different that they're avoiding doing mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they should. I mean, they should, they should be open to that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's an interesting thing is to think about is should you design your levels in a way that it sort of encourages people to go to one strategy or do you open it up for multiple strategies and what will be the approach to please people the most? It's just, I don't know, that's just an interesting intention there that that's not very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe this, I think that's probably the difference between my speed of doing maps and researching maps is that I was enforcing a very particular strategy for speed of doing that you needed to, I mean, at least I was pushing people out of their comfort zones, but if the strategy was still very, um, direct or limited whereas researchers I try to play the other way around and allow for people to improvise or explore or experiment so there's multiple ways to get to the exit so like you know like how they're saying is all those um lead to Rome that sort of thing mm-hmm. um you said that I think in the text file you said that map 23 was a result of like no pre-planning uh, of your thing placement and stuff and was instead purely a stream of consciousness kind of map. How often do you find that you map this way and do you think it can like yield more interesting results sometimes? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think there's there'd be a lot of people that would disagree with map 23 being yielding um interesting results <laughs> hello mountain pain if you're listening <laughs> um, he may well be <laughs> yeah i must say so <laughs> oh I, I i love that map so much so it's just like no one can can convince me that i've done any wrong and um it's but it's so short i mean it's such a small map so it's like it's no harm to cause that much pain and harm if it's short. You know? exactly. I mean, that's, that, that's a good philosophy to follow. I mean, if it's long and drawn out, make it easier and, you know, um, make it a bit more flexible. But if it's really short, go for it, punch in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's just, it depends on um, what it is that you want to do. I mean, what kind of creativity you've got going on. Like, you might be lucky that you come up with some sort of stream concept and you come up with this map in such a short space of time or you need time to build on it and it just whatever works for you and it does um i i find i've approached it in uh, many different ways and but uh, i i've always approached each map with a similar um preconception right so let's say with um when you're making a megawatt i've always had this thought that this map should be like this and then because this map was like this the next map should be a bit different right yeah and so on so as you know just all the gameplays a bit different because i want 
the goal for me for every mapping the maker world is to and this is the same in our research is uh, two things really you want to create a very particular sense of place so the place is in and of itself very specific and unique that it feels like its own place it's not just a tech base with details and you walk into a tunnel and blah 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 mm-hmm. there's a sense of place this is like an actual place and you're not identifying it as oh just a tech base and that sort of thing and that that was the sort of magic where actually dark dark way and i was trying to capture with the um, classic megawatts they all had those sense of place and we were really talking about that and eric allen was really good with that too like mm-hmm. all these maps are so just an actual place it's not like oh yeah this is a doom map this is a sky two map you know and um i'm trying to remember what i was going to say um yeah so you want a sense of place and the second one is you want to think about like a gameplay gimmick um a gimmick if you can think of any like if what kind of gameplay is it that you're wanting to create do you want like a bang hard front hot start or do mm-hmm. you want like um, a sinister progression or you want like a, a slow bump fast slow bump fast that sort of thing you know so there's always something in the back of my head that goes okay this is what i want to do but sometimes i'll, I'll be like maybe let's just make something and see what happens and then sometimes creating them map creates its own gameplay yeah so yeah it, does it make sense it's like kind of always plan for it and um yeah 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 i always advocate for something in between i think where there's some amount of like free flowing uh, mapping going on but you have some like you always should have like encounters and and thing placement sort of in the back of your mind i think while you're making spaces so that you can more easily implement combat i guess yeah yeah, I think so. I think you should always think about the encounter. You should think of it like a narrative, really. Like that, you should always think about well, not just the sense of place, but the flow. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's, there's uh, maybe a first part of the story, and then a second part of the story, and a third part. And maybe to to the trained eye, they will see that map twenty three has that. There's, there's the first part to the story and the second part to the story and the third part to the story. I mean, I had that in mind and um, I think that that makes it interesting because if you don't think about that, I mean, think about the map as a whole and it just becomes, I don't know, boring or it doesn't feel significant. It doesn't feel like there's this story happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's like when you're listening to a story and they have this um, plan, this intention that guys of the audience sort of players through. And if you don't have a direction, it's why are you making this map then? You know, mm-hmm. are, you just, are you just practicing? Are you just practicing monster placement and see how it turns out? Or are you trying to create a sense of place and entertain um, players by throwing a few challenges in a certain order, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so some semblance of structure is needed, you think? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah you, you have to. I mean, because you can't just have incidental mon- monsters everywhere, mm-hmm. and you can't just have traps all the time. I mean, you, have, you need to integrate all of them, and um, how much of each 
would depend, like I say, on the, the place that you're trying to create and the kind of gameplay you're trying to create, what kind of gimmick that you're trying to work with. Usually when, when I make maps, I because every map is going to have some sort of encounter incidental monsters, but sometimes there might be one gimmick that you'll be working with. And you might see that with the, with the maps I've made, there's always some gimmicks that I'm trying to work on. I think like a good example of a gimmick would be um, Sunlass. There's so many gimmicks in every map. Yeah. Map, map 29 is probably one of my favorite maps. Uh, uh-huh, go, yeah. fuck, go fuck yourself. Right? That's a <laughs> beautiful map. And that asphalt um, carousel is like a thing of genius. I'm just like, fuck, I wish I thought about it earlier. <laughs> yeah. <damn> it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a great map. Perfect, yeah. That's the perfect example of a gimmick. And that map, I mean, map 29 had like maybe two gimmicks because there was like different teleporting monsters and in between there was perfect integration of ambushes and incidental monsters like, mm-hmm. like, yeah that's just um genius map yeah yeah well when i talked to rubix he said that um uh map 29 was sort of built around that carousel fight he had that lying like, like he built that uh, he built like a lot of separate encounters uh for the project that he would then sort of put into maps later and so he had that one lying around and he built uh the map around it i believe <laughs> well there you go i mean that's yeah. i guess we have a bit of a similar <laughs> philosophy there mm. i mean yeah rubix rubix did um, help out with my uh play testing um, research and he gave me amazing feedback like he's a absolutely talented yeah um, he is yeah. App designer. Uh, yeah Mm-hmm. Can't say it enough. Um, so during the process of Speed of Doom, like how much were you and Darkwave sending maps back and forth? Did you actually like build uh, things into each other's maps, or did you only play test each other's stuff and then work on it individually? Um, so when we say build into each other's maps, do you mean like uh, map collaboration? Like yeah, yeah. To- yeah, um, no, we, we didn't do that. It was just mostly independent. Like, we, we just did our thing. But we definitely played as each other's work. But I also had to mediate the feedback from all the other playtesters and send them to Darkwave from, like, Jiu and Gusa and Bilal, mm-hmm. uh, the other one. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't like it was really integrated, but we really did share a lot of feedback and ideas. Like, what did you find inspiring? And uh, what is that you love to do? What do you like about the map? And um, I think Darkway was just a very kind-hearted person. I think he was more generous with his uh, feedback than he mm-hmm. should have been. <laughs> but um, I, I, I do remember um, when Sky 2 was released and then the, the last three maps were released, that was a big influence on Darkwave's um, map 28 and mm-hmm. 30. That was, yeah, so remember when we were talking about that, like he wanted a BFG only map and just, just like Sky's 228 times 100 and we, we already right. have that turned out. Yeah, and we did talk about Death Destiny's map. Uh, we did play through that and we talked about his design and... Uh, and I think maybe maybe Mucus Flow as well. 
Mm-hmm. As you can see, there's, there's so much influence in there. And so many people talk about Dark Wave being Death's Destiny. I'm like, there's <laughs> no way. I was just about to ask you. I wanted to... Rubix is someone who definitely is... Uh... He has spoken to me before at length about how it's it's a possibility. So I'm interested to hear the <laughs> like the official response here. <laughs> um, okay, so the official response is they are completely different people, honestly. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what the evidence is. So, uh, okay. I mean, I I understand it's plausible and it's feasible that the map is created. I mean, it might be death destiny. I mean, like from a from an outsider's uh, perspective, but I've talked to him a lot, and yeah. I've seen his writing in his language, and um, do do pointed out his his eccentric way of um, writing, his eccentric mm-hmm. English skills, because he's actually um, he's he, he's never he was never specific from where he's from, but he said he was from the Americas, so probably like Mexican or South American. He wasn't American. I mean, English wasn't his first language. Mm-hmm. So they had this unique way of writing English that, you know, how, like how maybe for an English speaker would say, I, I want to do this and check this out. But here we go. I am wanting to do this and I, I am wanting to check this out. Right. There was so much ING with his writing. It, it, it's clear that that was inbuilt into his um, language writing. And as far as everyone else knows, uh, Death Destiny was a um, fluent English writer and he didn't have any of those eccentric writings. So that's the strongest evidence I can now. Um, wow, well, it's good evidence. <laughs> it is good This is evidence. good stuff. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not confirmation or disconfirmation. But it's good evidence for that. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, I'll have to see what Rubik says after the episode goes up. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, It'll be interesting to see. <laughs> definitely. Um, so PRCP, uh, I think, at least according to the Doom Wiki, was the first community project that you were the lead for, I believe. Was that correct? Yeah, yeah. It was the, yeah, it was the first one that I came up with. Um, yeah, it was my first time, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose I was just wondering, uh, was there anything major that you learned from, like, compiling a community project versus just being a part of one? Yeah, I think I did, because um, that's because I ended up doing PCRP and 2 and Plutonium 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> given me a good idea of what it took to run a community project, what was the best way of doing it, and what was the best way to um, create like a project guidelines and then learning how to bring everyone together and working out the dynamics and expectations and goals and working out how to give feedback to them to say this is Good, but not quite there yet and and well unfortunately having to reject other people's works as well mm-hmm. um yeah i mean that has to happen but that's just like a learning opportunity i hope people see that way i mean just it's the best way to learn and i i suggest i would suggest people to keep trying and trying because it took me three four years 
before I released my first maps. So, um, yeah, I just, so all the hands-on experience was so useful because then it sort of made me realise what was more effective. So I knew that a very specific sort of project outlines and establishing roles and um, oh, yeah, I'm trying to put it into words. So. Mm -hmm. It can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? <laughs> it cannot. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it, it is difficult. Um, yeah, it's just, to, truth be told, um, when I was doing PCRP, my memory of the whole thing is like a fever dream. It really, <laughs> it, it, it really felt like a fever dream. And I am so thankful that you, our voice clients, remembers everything. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, if you're just posting it on Discord or um, the demo forum, stuff that happened, I'm like, shit, I forgot about that. Right, yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember that. What? <laughs> wow, it was, it was like I I learned about it for the first time. <laughs> it just, I, I guess I was on autopilot because I was so busy transmitting messages between everyone and just, mm -hmm. and then coming to grasp with vanilla mapping limitations. I think that was the hardest thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, it just, um, it really emphasized the importance of coordination between people and communication and establishing clear goals and standards and uh, deadlines. Yeah. And just communication is probably the key thing I'll take from it because that was what helped PCRP, uh, PRCP <laughs> um, and Plutonium 3 end up doing okay because the um, communication was what helped it move along, so to speak. Right. So yeah. I, think, I, I think that was the biggest skill I developed was that communication between people. Mm -hmm. I'm such an I'm such an introvert, and I am profoundly deaf myself. So, communication was not something that was very familiar for me. So, to have the opportunity to develop it online and with strangers, people that I don't know, mm -hmm. and making things okay and smoothing out any sort of potential conflict. I mean, that's yeah, it was a great learning experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, and deadlines, obviously, the big dirty word for community projects. <laughs> it's it now <laughs> yeah at least it came yeah. out that's the main thing that's all you really want from a community project it actually comes out yeah I think so well again I mean that's going to open another can of worms because at least it gets out or it could be better <laughs> so <laughs> right. where, where, where do you stop so you go okay maybe it could be released a little bit later it could be a little bit better well that's how or, what gets you though that's how these things end up taking 10 years to come out <laughs> that's why you need uh <laughs> i think that's why it's important to have like a good lead who i mean you had already released a mega wad uh which is difficult enough in and of itself so it's you need somebody who has actually had experience like releasing projects and doing some quality control and getting through testing in various phases so uh, yeah i think that probably was a big help for the project to have someone like you leading it yeah i i think so um it it, it definitely helped that i had that reputation to start with the healthy project um takeoff because 
But if someone has that reputation, there's a kind of trust um, and expectation that the project will be at least good, that we place all this trust to this person that it's going to turn out okay. If it's some stranger that's leading the project, it'd be like, well, who are you? How do we know it's going to turn out well? Mm-hmm. How do we know that you've got good motives? Do you, do you have any ulterior motives? So there's, there's that lack of transparency. They don't have that sort of history. And that definitely helps me with that history and with that experience of compiling everything. Like, Because it is hard work compiling, you know, um, a megawatt with some... Um, from multiple mappers and trying to integrate multiple uh, feedback from many different tests, which is, which I have to say is one of the most important things that people need to do if they want to create a good project, is mm-hmm. to learn how to deal with multiple um, feedback from many different uh, yeah. perspectives. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Surge, uh, was a it's a great little wad actually it focuses more on like small scythe one <laughs> style maps uh, focus a lot more on like flow and fast gameplay and stuff it was never finished uh, you cited like other commitments I guess at the time that you were just too busy does making like a yeah. fast paced project like this still appeal to you um uh, no no probably not mm. um yeah I mean I just and I'm still working on my last um, on this map for Plutonia Three, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I think life commitment is going to be like too much to deal with to focus on projects like that. Um, I mean, it was fun because it was quick and easy, and I tried to get into some sort of stream consciousness. But I don't think I'm going to be. I mean, never say never. But um, yeah, I just I have no plans to be making any projects after Plutonia three is out. Maybe maybe a map or two or something, but it's not something I'm going to uh, work for again. No. Right. Um. So BTSX episode two. Uh, how did you end up working on that? How did I end up? Uh, well, um, episode fourteen, uh, Sarah Mancuso. Um, contacted me she, she reached out and said we'd be interested in um, making a map or something and I thought oh yeah sure I mean I, I don't see why not I mean I, I guess because the, the reputation I had for Speed of Doom and PRCP so I just this was 2011 I think that's when I made all these maps and um, yeah so I just got on to at the time, they had like a dedicated website, like a forum for all the back to Saturnex um, map submissions and feedback and that sort of thing. And we had like a IRC channel, like internet relay channel. That's mm-hmm. how we pretty much did all our conversations and discussions on, and trying to work on what uh, what we could work on the maps. and. Um, yeah, so I ended up making a few maps, but um, <laughs> clearly they weren't um, finale compatible because, like I said, I do not like making maps for finale. It's just I mm-hmm. didn't work. I think I think mainly because I didn't work out how to be flexible with my mapping. So I, whenever I would run into a problem with a limitation, I could not 
work out how to morph the map around that because I because right. I, I had a habit of bordering um, architecture, so I couldn't work out what could I do to make the map prettier without bordering, for example, or to manipulate textures or levels mm-hmm. or ceilings in a way that actually looked really good. Like Sunlux is a fantastic example of um, efficient. Or Sasha is another one. I mean, that's I've learned so much from imitating his maps on how to make something look really pretty with very minimal yeah. changes. It looks minimal, but it ends up looking really complex. And that's just, um, he has a really interesting design philosophy there. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's some interesting stories with uh, my maps needing to be worked on. Um, mm-hmm. the, yeah, I, I'm not sure if people know about it, but uh, the, one of the levels, uh, Shadow Port, and so it, because one section, because uh, you know the ship section, it originally it, it was not in a cave, it was out in the open. Because I, I couldn't imagine myself thinking, okay, well, we're not hiding into a cabin like Sarah Mancuso did. Mm-hmm. I just thought, I couldn't think, how, how could I change that? I thought, I I can't change this. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's just that the ship out there just caused so much um, hall of mirrors. And um, <laughs> right. the VPO was okay, but the hall of mirrors is like, it's just, <laughs> you might as well be playing up Sky Navy. <laughs> and so, so it ended up requiring a, a fair bit of a um, fix-up. And, and the, that side of the terminology... Um, that everyone else uses now, shadow port. So I'm going to shadow port this map. Well, that map is shadow porting. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I've established the uh, trend and I'm somehow both proud and ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> I would be proud. Yeah. Let's stick with proud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you also came in and worked on a few ancient aliens levels. Uh, which is interesting. What's it like coming into like both of these wads that have very established themes and design philosophies and then creating your own maps for them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting. I, I tried to approach it from a perspective that I, I, was, I was just talking about with my approaches with um, Megawatts, that you want to make sure think about the flow, the narrative, each map has their own sense of place, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so, so the skill sources, I, he, he essentially told us that there were three different episodes that had specific themes and that we couldn't use the new monsters until episode two, I believe. So episode one, we had to not use the new monsters and that not to use specific textures. So we had, there were some limitations in place. But I, as I was playing through the levels, I thought, okay, so what is it can I create that is not like any of these maps? So the two maps that are made, I mean, the 500 plus monsters each, I believe, that was deliberate to create some sort of contrast with all skill swords, uh, bus size, punchy, um, platonic maps. 
and um, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I guess nectar flow was meant to be a little bit more exploratory. And I guess I, I think I was just having a lot of fun playing with these new textures. But like, oh wow, this is fun. Yeah. And I was just thought, and it ended up being a little bit bigger than I wanted it to be. And for um, floating arena, I I have to admit I'm not proud of that work. I mean, because. I would have liked to have put in a little bit more effort to create something a bit more interesting, complex. Mm-hmm. And but I, I, I guess I was just, um, going through a period of uh, depression, so it was just like trying to squeeze inspiration from a stone. Right. But, but what? At least when I made that map, I had that idea of again, I say that creative sense, sense of place and a specific gameplay gimmick in mind, and. As I noticed, there wasn't really any slaughter maps in the Megawatt. So I thought, okay, <laughs> well, let's make something not quite like Spirit of Doom, but something accessible, like maybe like an entry level slaughter map. So a little bit of a hot start to encourage a bit of improvising, but not too much to put off any potential new clothes. So that was pretty much what I came up with. And that's, that's how it turned out to be. Well, I got to say, the start is quite hot for that map <laughs> it is i mean but hey you know it could be a lot hotter <laughs> that's true um did you i'm assuming then by the sound of it uh like you didn't really have any restrictions then by uh skill or anybody else like were you allowed to just kind of go wild with it yeah um, um yeah i don't remember any particular restrictions or um points that we needed to make um i guess there was there was this unspoken goal that we needed to make good maps because this is skills or we're talking about damn it it's right yeah. project we're not going to make this project look bad so you want it so this set unspoken goal of making it really presentable and interesting and engaging so i guess if you want to talk about limitations or motivations that that would be that but mm-hmm. it's not a bad it's not a bad thing i don't think because um i mean i i'm uh yeah i'm probably being a bit too hard on myself for the floating arena but i was pretty happy with nectar flow i mean it was different i mean it's different to what i usually made and um but yeah there wasn't any specific limitations mm-hmm. just like just the the goals and the restrictions i mentioned earlier that was pretty much it so we had we had a fair bit of um leeway with what we could do with our maps. I actually I replayed that map, Floating Arena, today, uh, for the podcast and had a lot of fun with it. That was good. I th- when I first played it I got oh, yeah. wrecked by the start. Uh I couldn't uh I couldn't get out of the starting area for quite some time. <laughs> and then today when I played it I was like, Oh actually, this is not too bad at all. <laughs> I think it took me like one or two attempts. But... Yeah. Well, I'm glad you managed to to get out of it alive. Congrats. <laughs> well, it just proves that it was a uh, it was a skill error on my part. It, w- it was not your fault. Yeah, it's not my fault. Okay, well, I appreciate <laughs> that. That's, yeah, vindication. <laughs> <laughs> um. So a lot of your maps, they sort of open. Uh, maybe with a hot start, maybe not, but they usually a lot of them open with sort of um, more non-linear progression. You seem to like open uh, areas to begin with, uh, 
do you find that you have just as much fun building sort of more standard linear progression or, or do you do you much prefer the sort of open style of mapping Ooh. oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tough one i guess um i just for always when i've made different levels it was just just whatever comes um I know, I just, I just always had a uh, case of us who are philosophy is just whatever will be, will be. And it just try to enjoy the process and not be too rigid with what I was doing. But I guess it just depends on the um, project that I'll be working for. Mm-hmm. Like if it was in a mega world, I mean, my own mega world, I, I've always wanted to mix it up. So make it linear and then make it open. Um, there, there are different challenges to both because with linear designs, you have to make it interesting because the choice and the opportunities is quite restrained and people could be put off by that and you still want to make it flexible enough while you know working with a linear sort of um, layout. But... Uh, but a non-linear one is also um, interesting. It also has its challenges because you have to think, is it too big? Is it too open? Is it too confusing? Do mm-hmm. people have a sense of direction of where they're going to? And is it balanced? Like is one um, equal in difficulty and flow compared to the other? Because you don't want one to be lopsided because that makes it really... Um, wonky and I think that would probably put people off a bit because then people start going one direction and going to the other and that ends up being um, linear anyway yeah like, right um, yeah unintentionally linear so you want to design in a way where you encourage grounded exploration so yeah um, but in terms of what I enjoy I think I enjoy somewhere in between I don't like it when it's too linear because it's too boring. It's like, okay, so A just B and that's boring. Mm-hmm. But I don't like it when it's too not linear because there's way too many variables I need to think about and I have to um, worry about how it's all going to flow in a way that's interesting. So I always think, you know, bit of column A, bit of column B and you get a good map. Right, yeah. yeah. And, a, and a slightly easier one to make maybe in some respects I think so I, it allows um, yes. you can I think it's more room for improvising mm-hmm. you go oh yeah, oh yeah I'll add on this and oh yeah I'll add on that and, uh, and then you don't feel this pressure to make it big like you can like it can be just petite or you know medium size and that's good enough whereas if it's if it's a different design, you think, oh, I need to make it bigger, I need to make it more grand, because it's not enough, and it's not interesting enough. I don't know, that's like some weird thinking gets <laughs> your mind, you're like, no, no, it should be like this, and, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, like, in Plutonia 3, one of my maps ended up being big, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> it's Plutonia, why did I make it so big? <laughs> yeah. It ended up being in map 29, so I can go, oh, yeah, it's an odyssey of noise inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Wink. wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
I just wanted to touch on this quickly because I, I did really like this project when I played it. Um, for 50 Shades of uh, Grey Tall, what interested you in it and what do you think interested so many prolific mappers to join the project? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I thought, I thought it was a really cool project. I mean, it was, it was a while back, but I, I mean, remember the appeal was, could you? Would you make a really interesting map with such ugly textures? <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, because it's, I, I don't know, maybe a part of me wanted to flex my muscles and go, yeah, I could do it. I'm the best map ever, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, just wanted to see how could I do it? And it was sort of like a challenge. And, and um, if you see the, the trajectory of my mapping journey was that I was constantly trying to get out of my comfort zone and every time I did it, it ended up being really rewarding and I learned so much from it and it meant that the next time I created a map, I could take on the new traits and qualities that I brought forward from that. And this was such a great opportunity for that. Like, how do you make something interesting with, yeah, ugly maps, map texturing and flat choices and and also, like I said, my, with my mapping philosophy is creative sense of place and a mapping gameplay gimmick. And Killing Fields has that. You know, I, I try to create a sense of place. You know, there's a f- Killing Field. I mean, I don't know why there's a plural. I and mean, it's just one field. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's like my grammatical error. So, <laughs> yeah, just, it's the Killing Field. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I try to create a sense of place in that. and to try and create appealing textures, I mean, architecture and layout flow. So it was just just a great opportunity to challenge myself. That that, that was an appeal. And Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that for other prolific mappers like um, Moldy, I mean, fantastic mapper, Mm -hmm. just absolute legend. I mean, yeah. And um, Megadon and everyone else. yeah, Rubix, Time of Death, uh, there are a lot of really, really big names. Yeah, yeah, big names. I mean, I mean you can see why um, why they gravitated towards that because that was it was such a fun project. Brief is could you do it and get away with it? And I think everyone in that project got away with it. They were all amazing maps. Mm-hmm. It was just unintentionally and. Um, I don't know if I, I was going to say ironically a great project, but maybe unironically yeah. it's probably a project. Unironically, yeah. <laughs> it really is good. Yeah. I'd really encourage people to check it out because uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so many really good maps in that. Mm, yeah, I concur. Uh, so, Resurgence. Um, what mm. specifically, when you started this project, did you want to do differently with Resurgence compared to, say, Speed of Doom? Hmm. Um, I guess I wanted to explore different things that I didn't explore before then. So, and, and in a way, I wanted to, um, hmm, just try just, just to create more maps. And I think along the way, I felt like I wanted to try something else that I didn't do for speed of doing, but also, I guess I developed a different um, 
gameplay design philosophy as well. And I wanted to make it a bit more um, balanced and more um, flexible, so to speak. So the error of marching was bigger. So it would actually be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, I think initially Dark Wave and I were going to make a second one, oh. a second me- mega one, actually. But I, I don't know what happened. I think I, we just lost contact. And then I just ended up doing my thing. And because I already had searched, I had a bit of a framework, and that, that was like the motivation. I thought, well, we've got some good maps here. Let's turn it into something like a premium version of it and mm-hmm. see if it ends up becoming something, you know, um, coherent. And um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just all that. I mean, there, there wasn't too much thought put into it. But I, I guess, um, that, that was also a motivation too. I'd be thinking that Darkwave wasn't part of the project and uh, I was aware that people, many people found these maps to be more appealing. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was like an egotistical attack or whatever because mm-hmm. his, his work is just timeless and beautiful. But I think in a way I was inspired by what he did. I thought, okay, let's, what if I was Darkwave? Let's see what it would be like. And I think because... I had to do um, yeah, the Secret Santa project where mm-hmm. I had to imitate um, Casesa. So I was already in that sort of um, mindset. What would it be like if I was this person and then right. see how it turns out? And that was my way of breaking out of my mapping mold that I wasn't going to be, you know, annihilating you with <laughs> shotgun hit scanners without any armor. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just so funny. I was just play testing all of these um, PRCB2 maps and Blue Chinese 3 maps. And I find myself going, You need more armor, more armor, yeah. more health. Damn it, more ammo. <laughs> <laughs> if I was thinking, if I was talking to um, young Joshy, I'm like, God damn it, green armor, blue armor. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Damn it, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like I've, <laughs> I've also gotten slightly milder. I mean, people wouldn't play my most recent project and be like, well, that's, that's a mild mapper right there. But, uh, I've definitely gotten to the point where I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I could turn it down and, and, uh, make it a little more Sableist friendly, at least. Yeah. So you found, you found yourself doing that? Like, you thought he was your maps were too difficult or yeah I, mind you i haven't played your maps i want to now actually <laughs> I'll, I'll stream your maps yeah <laughs> wow sounds good um they are yeah they are very difficult so if you can hear a lot of jingling it's just my cat uh going going crazy but um <laughs> yeah they're pretty challenging maps i think i started out making singular maps very large singular maps that are very difficult mm-hmm. and then when I made a project that was a few maps together, um, I was like, I I just played through Sunlust without saves, and I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, and I wanted to make something that was at least a bit more plausible to play through Saveless, so <laughs> I ended up scaling my difficulty down uh, a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean... The fact that you did Sunlust without saves, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, what difficulty were you on? 
Hoping Plenty or Ultraviolet? No, it was UV, yeah. But, um... God damn. I, mean, I, I, I finished some of us, you know, with Hoping Plenty with saves, you know. I'm not brave enough to be doing Ultraviolet <laughs> because I, I know how Rubik's is very hardcore with punishing, you know. Players going, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm good enough for Ultraviolet. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I am so dead wrong. <laughs> I think UV is uh, a really good experience for Sunlust, for sure. Definitely some big differences uh, with the other difficulties. If you can bring yourself to play through it on UV, it's de it's definitely a worthwhile experience, I think. Yeah, uh, well, the other issues made me, um, yeah, go for playing it ultra for real. I mean, that's just... If you want to play the Megawatt for how it was originally designed. I mean, that's just like the how it's meant to be experienced. So I think that's a good point. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I, I speak from a uh, veteran demo, you can you know put up with a, a lot of pain. Doesn't matter how much fun or unfun it is. So I don't want to advocate for people playing ultraviolet when it's not fun. Yeah, absolutely. Me neither. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, and hoping plenty for sunglasses was really quite i mean it was challenging i think maybe because i was really rusty but also like one of the maps got me so angry and pissed off <laughs> and then it was a test of my own medicine because like shit i'm playing this map the wrong way <laughs> I'm using, i should be using this crutch <laughs> what is wrong with me i feel like a hypocrite <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean yeah also difficulty settings yeah definitely something that i focus on a lot these days um like hey not to rough i I sort of made platforming easier in my in my recent wad that I released uh, with some voodoo stuff, um, and I got rid of pain sectors that were there and, and things like that. So definitely tried to focus on making it at least bearable for people who want to play on lower difficulty settings. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. When you say pain sectors, is that like the actual platforms or the ground beneath the platforms? Yeah, so, so I, I well. I'm trying to think if I I actually remove pain sectors. I usually I what I would do is make a voodoo that would open up uh, like a teleporter out of the out of inescapable pits, so that uh, on the lowest difficulty there are no inescapable pits essentially. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so they're able to escape out of the pit in lower difficulty. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah, correct. By using voodoo settings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of doing it, I think, because, yeah, I mean, there's different expectations and punishment depending mm -hmm. on the, um, the difficult setting. I think that's great. And I think that's definitely um, underutilized. I think just... Yeah, I think change, so. There's so many other ways of changing how difficult a map is, and it's not just uh, what monsters exist or doesn't exist. I mean, you want to think about um, weapons placements and you want to think about um power ups but but also teleports too like or key placements there's, there's yeah. other variables that we could do to make it really interesting for and accessible for lower difficulty and um yeah but it's a shame that we haven't as a community altogether really encouraged that focus you know because we always think ultraviolet is the only one to think about yeah, yeah. and then everything else is just a afterthought you know which is I, I think I'm guilty of that too, but yeah, I, I just yeah, I think it's worthy of a um, further discussion. Yeah, definitely, I think so.
Um, so w- with Resurgence, what what did you think that you had sort of learned in between uh, mapping for Speed of Doom and and Resurgence? Hmm. So I think the biggest one was really changing, or just breaking out of my um, mapping um, framework. So it was just not making the same thing like some sort of um, Charlie Chaplin factory. It was just actually trying to break out of it and explore different, you know, new territories and trying to... Because I had so many different places in mind that I visualised that I wanted to see how it would turn out as a doom map, like um, Katoomba, the, the Three Sisters. That was like an example of that. So I wanted to see what it would look like in Dune because it's such a beautiful landscape and it's so overwhelming just how big and how steep the the mountain is. It's just so scary. It just fills me up with, with um, adrenaline. And I just thought, damn, I want to recreate that. And mm-hmm. that was like, that's, I set myself some challenges and that was a, an opportunity to break out of my, you know, plutonic hardcore ammo deprivation armor deprivation and you know no <laughs> no flexibility that sort of thing and right because yeah because the truth is it's more fun if you break out of it and try to create more variations i mean i don't think people could handle 32 maps of Josh's bit of doom that would just be <laughs> a nightmare <laughs> I, I, yeah it's like people get like, no let's not because that project, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you're being a little too harsh on yourself, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I am. I'm a bit, bit of a perfectionist, but thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I like to think that, that that was what helped me create Resurgence, right? because I, I still wanted to retain some of that design philosophy too, because there's some good in that, but also... You, for the whole mega one, you, you want to make it interesting and varied, and that takes a fair bit of um, a bit, it's a bit of a learning curve. And I, I don't know. I should, I guess I I was simultaneously learning from what I did before and what I wish I could have done, and mm-hmm. then I used the opportunity to apply all that. And then during that process, I was learning a lot too. Because I'm, oh hey, this is turning out to be a nice map, and then he end up um, taking a life of his own, and just it pulled me into a certain direction. So it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it was just it's just a multiple multiple uh, stuff happening there. But it, it was also and also with the with the idea of dark wave not being there anymore, and I thought, okay, what would it be like to imagine if I was if I was him? What would I create? And it's I mean, he's, he's a legend in his own right, so it's sort of like, it's difficult to try and, you know, pick out pieces on why he, his maps work so well. And he has this timeless lessons to learn from his um, playing through his maps. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that is interesting to think about. Um, I'm curious why you decided to put a Fritz into the one. Uh, custom monsters in general, I guess. Yeah, um, the custom monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, 
I, I guess it was also an opportunity to um, create um, more variety, as I was saying, because I thought, uh, I guess in retrospect, we've been asked to have some new monsters, but it was sort of like a, a lazy way of creating variety, and that was to rip from Sky 2, and, but thankfully I knew a little bit of D-Hack to try and make it, you know, different, so it wasn't like it was um, exactly the same as Sky 2. I, I didn't really like the Sky 2 settings, I thought it was just a little bit too mm-hmm. un, um, unbalanced, and the I wanted Avery to be like a glass cannon, and I wanted right. the... And I wanted Zimbabwean to be threatening but doable and wasn't like it was uh, yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. <freaky. laughs> no, like it's, I, I hated the Marines in Scotty. Yeah, I did, not, I did not enjoy them that much either. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, this, um, that's a universal uh, <laughs> agreed <laughs> upon <laughs> um, yeah, belief there. Um, but I thought with changing the settings, I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity to spice things up and maybe opportunities to create more um, mapping gimmicks, you know, gameplay gimmicks or, you know, gameplay setups. So that was, I guess I, I was craving for some more opportunities, more options to work with. And I thought these two were so all-rounded because they, they, those two were different from the traditional you know, the, the original monsters lineup, they, they sort of filled in the gaps because mm-hmm. you have the you have the Marine who's like a fragile figure with projectiles and not um, his scan. And then you have Alfred who floats and it's actually an interesting floating monster compared to say the Cacodemon or um, Pain Elemental, mm-hmm. but, but also like a balance. So it's sort of like, yeah, that, it's, yeah, it's just, Fitted really well in, in the monster lineup, so that was, I guess, that was a really long answer. <laughs> you saying, Oh, yeah, just more variety. <laughs> no, no, it's it is interesting to hear because I feel like it is a big decision when you alter Doom Sandbox because it is quite um, well put together, I suppose. So it's always interesting to see why people decide they want something different. Mm, yes, true, I, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, Map uh, 30 of Resurgence, uh, the final map. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, it's a gigantic sort of open slaughter uh, map centered around, like, a giant pain sector. Uh, it's hectic and probably one of the most memorable parts of the ward, I think, for a lot of people. Um, how important do you think it is for, I mean, any ward, but uh, a mega ward in particular, I guess, to have sort of a grand finale? Oh. I think it's oh, it's absolutely important. I think, but also one of the most difficult things to do. I mean, it's so difficult to, um, like, from our panset to stick to the landing. I mean, that's true. I mean, because you have to. It's it's like the ending of the story, and most writers are so good at writing the start, and then the mid part of the story, and then the near end, and everyone. Well, fucks up the ending, you know. So <laughs> it's just it's not that I mean it's not that easy to think, well, how did you wrap it up? And how do you wrap up what it is that you were wanting to do with the whole project? And um 
you want to, well, I guess it depends on the projects that you're doing. I mean, the goals that you have in mind. I mean, do you want a final boss or do you just want to, my, my goal for researchers for the last map was to, because as I mentioned, I, I became a little bit more of a softy from, mm-hmm. yeah, compared to the speed of doing, for example. But I allowed myself that map 30 would be the one where I'll be like a whole spot. And difficult as difficult can be, like as is Joshi from Speed of Doom was given a bit of like a carton of steroids. And I thought, okay, I mean, it's the last map. And, you know, if people really cared about it, they would push through it. And if I didn't, well, you didn't graduate. So <laughs> that, 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 that was the idea. Really. Right. I mean, I, I would have liked to, um, I mean, I was so depressed and burnt out when I did that map. It was just sort of like, oh, fuck, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do anything else. It was just, it would, it would be a couple of years before I could come up with something decent. It was just hmm. completely drained. So I'm, I'm glad that people still find it to be memorable. But hmm. yeah, so I, I think, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is to emphasize the importance of the narrative of the mega ones that you want to present. And resurgence is like the narrative is challenge and sense of place and pushing people to their limits. But in, in a fair way, I mean, that sounds a bit <laughs> contradictory. Mm-hmm. But and, and, like if, if eternity is more story based, I mean, it, it's a great mega one. And, uh, so that's why the ending ended up being like a final boss. Um, yeah. The god or the angel or that sort of, because that's, that's more story-based. So it, it depends on the, the goal of the project and the narrative. So um, I think it's really important, but, but you know, thinking about it, I, don't, I, I can't say that a lot of the um, megawatts have successfully landed the final because i think the majority of them suck to the iconic sin ending right and and that's always anticlimactic yeah um, especially ending. older ones yeah older mega ones yeah the older ones yeah because they, they could have done something better they could have done something more interesting or just just a simple hard let's guy um the first one the uh, fire eyes that's like a really good ending that's, mm. that's one of the maps that really landed the ending and um yeah it's just it's actually quite uncommon i think fun last ending was really good too but it was incredibly difficult it was just yeah yeah um but <laughs> again i'm sounding like a hypocrite <laughs> yeah but i, I thought some what sunlust was, was really good too um i just it, it sort of made me think um if you could do a final boss, I mean, how should it be designed? Uh, and just thinking about it, that'd be so much tremendous pressure. Mm-hmm. A lot of people was, weren't happy with if eternity's um, ending, and uh, there was another one, another megawatt. Um, oh God, Antares. There was another final boss, and that uh, was yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great map set, but it was yeah, the bit of a anticlimactic sort of. Yeah, I think bosses are hard to do in in Doom. And maybe a lot of the time in FPSs in general, I think because you often find yourself kind of stuck there shooting something with a lot of health for a long time, which, uh, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's that's fundamentally the issue. I mean, because you can't, there's there's not a lot of choice or options to work with. It's just, it's you know, is that mean that quote should I until it dies? I mean, that's a cyber demon, right? Yeah. And so it's just cyber demon redux, and it's just <laughs> cyber demon two is a cyber demony, and it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it's just how do you make it so interesting and fresh? And it's not just about shooting at it until it dies and um that's going to require maybe perhaps beyond boom format you know i, I don't know if the um yeah or some sort of voodoo contraptions that are actually you know maybe some switch pressing you have to do in the fight to make it you know a bit more interesting or you know something mechanically that has to be put in place uh, it's difficult to do that kind of yeah. thing well I think Valiant yeah. Valiant was okay. I, I mean, um, I would have been just as happy with, you know, uh, a regular Valiant map that was a bit more challenging to end the WOD, but I, I thought that as far as Doom bosses go, I thought the Valiant one was uh, pretty decent. Yeah, it was actually. I um, completely forgot about that. I mean, Valiant has a great mindset too, but I completely forgot about that. Um, I, I have to admit, I have not fully played through Valiant. Like, I, mm-hmm. I played the last one, because I always love to skip to the end and see what it's like. But I, I think I've got like 10 maps ago, and I just got too busy. <laughs> yeah, it's, a great, it's, it's a great mindset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you said you. Uh, really you don't have time these days very much to map you've got plutonia 3 and prcp2 i guess you were saying uh you're working on at the moment are those sort of really the only projects you have planned for the future yep um <laughs> so it's just i was just just plutonia 3 is my moment i've got that i i have a bunch of maps in uh, plutonia 3 and i'm actually quite happy with how they turned out <laughs> I guess it'd be interesting to see what people think of them because it's, it's not, it's probably like resurgence, you know, more like what I've done in resurgence rather than speed of doing this. It's a little bit more softer, a little bit more mellow, but mm-hmm. I still try to make it a little bit more challenging because I, I, with, because with the tiny three, I mean, that's going to be, that's it's more of a, um, a mainstream audience, so to speak. I mean, that sounds, weird but that's just the thought i have yeah, yeah, like, right. you, you want to make it more accessible it's not like it's my project and i can make it difficult however i want you know mm-hmm. rubik's rubik style or you know the french team community style is like hardcore and you know with a bit of genesequa um but after plutonia 3 i don't think i'm going to be doing any projects i mean because i'm, I'm doing my phd in psychology and i'm probably going to end up being so caught up with more, you know, research work and and maybe eventually getting into um, uh, therapy work as well. So it's just the the there's not enough room to commit to you know working with projects. But I could make a map or two. I mean, I, I I'm not going to say no to that. I mean, I I did announce um, years ago, and that I said I retired from doing mapping. That was Away, disciplining myself for not getting back into doom mapping because if you say you've retired and then you go back into it, you look like a goddamn fool, right? And that was my way of getting myself to focus on my work and not get tempted because it's it's always so tempting, you know, with um, doom mapping. It's always calling out to you, you know, it's a siren song, you know, 
come on here, baby, you know you want me. And it's just like, how can I say no to you? <laughs> You're always going to be fighting with that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the rest of my life, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you never know. People seem to come back to Doom. Moldy came back recently, 17 years later or whatever. <laughs> Many years later. <laughs> God. Um, oh, yeah, such a good decision he made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so, on to the final question, which uh, I ask everybody. What is your favorite Doom monster and why? God, I wish I had time to think about this. <laughs> Tough one. Uh, oh, I, I can't give multiple answers, can I? I must choose one. Go to head, choose one, and that's it. Is that what? A couple of people have sort of picked one for visuals and one for gameplay, so if you if you wanted to do something like that, then yeah, I'll accept it, but yeah, you may have to pick like a definitive one. Yeah, the definitive one. Hmm, that's true. Um, hmm. Okay, uh, oof. okay. I'm trying to think of a few. I mean, <laughs> there, there's, there's a few I have in mind, and I will say The Revenant, uh, mm-hmm. The Archfile, and The Cyber Gaming. So that's three I have in mind. All good ones. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, as you, as one might notice, I intend to use them quite, quite often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess in terms of pure favoritism and not purely because of this um, usefulness or value, mm-hmm. I'll just describe it in it. Nice. Yeah, because that, that must, I mean, I had memories of it freaking me out when I was young. <laughs> like, like, no, I mean, so imagine this. Right, so my first exposure to the game was shareware. And then, and then I got Final Doom for my present, as a birthday present. The first map I loaded was, I think it was Congo to start with. And then I clicked on map 32, go to it. And then I'm playing it, and I hear this goddamn roar. <clears throat> and I'm like, ah, what is this? <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm deaf, but that sound was just so memorable and threatening. And it's just, yeah, so I guess a lot of my maps, I like to capitalize on that threat, that impending um, threat, that you're going to have to encounter this over at one point. And you can tell there's going to be multiple ones. And that's scary, you know, that you think, okay, I'm dealing with demons and shit, and, but, you know, there's cyber demons ahead of you that you're going to have to deal with, and that's building up tension, you know, that's, you know, that's like part of the narrative, and I, mm-hmm. that's, what I love, that's what I love about the cyber demon, it adds to that feel, that narrative, the atmosphere, and, um, mm-hmm. and even, though, even though it can be, it can be really difficult to really use it effectively, you have to be creative to have, how to use it, you can't just just plop it in in one room and oh yeah here's a cyber demon go kill it shoot it until it dies you want to be a little bit more creative with that but when when done well it's terrifying and memorable so yeah i'll say the cyber demon it's a great choice i think it's probably uh my favorite monster too spoilers uh for when i interview myself obviously (laughs) 
But <laughs> are you going to interview yourself, eh? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to. People oh, keep making the joke oh, that I should. should. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I would pay to see that, honestly, because that would take fantastic editing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, people keep saying I should uh, interview myself for it, but I think that would be um a little too egotistical, perhaps. Nah. No, no. I think, <laughs> I think I think I think you're doing these for authentic reasons. Like you've got this pure interest in gym, and I think it's great. I mean, and it's so interesting to see people do it because no one does that. I mean, mm. if you're Brad Pitt, maybe yeah, you're a bit of a dick, but I mean, you're a bit of fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I think yeah. So I say go go and do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely consider it now, but uh, but yeah. Uh... <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it was great talking to you and uh, getting insights into all these projects that I've I've played over the years and been influenced by myself. Um, and also for illuminating some things about Darkwave, which uh, I think people will be interested in as well. So, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. No, thank, you, thank you for having me. Um, it was great talking to you. And also, uh, thanks a lot to Kerry for uh, interpreting for you. Uh, very helpful. Yes. Thank you, Kerry. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so that'll finish it up. So uh, to everyone listening, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I'll see you next time with another guest. So yeah, uh, bye again, Joshi. And uh, see you guys later. Ciao. Yeah.